was the closest because he chose to be. And the others were trying to figure out how, where do they fit into all of the order of that. And so I think that's a, a good sign of us. Just find the heart of the Lord. Just draw up close to him. Because we're in a time to where the cares of life will choke the seed. And you can get so caught up in who's driving the bus, who's sitting at the back of the bus, and who's ready to get off the bus, and, and everybody else on the bus. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The simplicity is all about Jesus. So recently, this last few months, the Lord said, I want you to simplify your life. So I thought, great. Less traveling, just kind of hang out with Diane and I, and we just kind of kumbaya. And, and then uh, he said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. So I knew it sounded too good. Simplify, meaning the fact is your focus, your gaze. And simplify, in other words, take me at my word, not what you think I should say, but take me at what I said. Let it be a saying word in you, and let it be a saying word out of you. So I, I'm, with all of my heart, I can tell you something this morning that there is, I feel anyway, at least maybe, maybe it's for me, but I feel the rest of us, that something has turned in the spirit. I felt the change just a couple of days ago. And on the Jewish calendar, Passover was Saturday. You know, and then today is Palm Sunday and the next week's Jewish Resurrection Day. But on, that's, that's on the calendar because normally think Passover being on Sunday, but that's how the Jewish celebrated. So I'm gonna, I, I begin to ask the Lord about concerning Passover in my own personal life. I love studying Passover. I, am, I love studying Covenant. The book was my, one of my favorite books that I wrote out there. Not because I wrote it, but one that I wrote anyway. Is, is about Covenant, the power of Covenant. Because it speaks of really how Jesus felt about us. God so loved that he gave an offering. The offering was his own son. To show us really how much he loves us. And out of that Passover Covenant was in relationship to a covenant that he made in regards to Abram, later on Abraham, but really the covenant was not with Abraham, it was with his Jesus, the son of God. Remember, God puts Abram to sleep because Adam broke covenant, knew man would break covenant, and so Abraham provided the sacrifice and laid them all out, and then he puts him to sleep, he falls asleep. Same thing that had Adam, I'm going to take a bride, put you to sleep, bring her out of your side, that way that man couldn't tell God how to do it. <clears throat> We're still trying to tell God how to, what I want my bride to be. Same thing with Abram. Some of you will catch that in just a moment. I feel the wave just coming. There it is. And so the same thing with Abram fell asleep. The Bible says that a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between the Scholars will tell us that, that those two pieces represent the Father and the Son, and how the Father and Son made covenant in behalf of Abram and behalf of you and I, because he knew that man could not keep covenant. But he, between he and his Son, they would not break covenant. So when you see Exodus, the 12th chapter, you can turn there with me, and I just want to give you just a little bit of an account in Exodus 12. It was covenant in, in ratifying what God had said to Abram concerning his descendants 430 years prior to that. Think about it. 430 years ago, before that. 
And so because of that, God keeps covenant and mercy, and he cannot break covenant for who he is. The word covenant, it comes from the word berith, which means to cut. If you were to write a check in corporate society and business, it'd say cut a check. So he's saying that when you cut a check, it means here's a value. So Jesus became the check, became the cutting of the covenant, out of his side came blood and water, and when the blood hit the earth, the earth had there was an earthquake, a sequence of events there, and out of that the blood blood cried out from the earth. We can see the count of that with Cain and Abel in Genesis four. The devil wanted a bloodline to get back into the earth because he was cast out of heaven, and so that had to come through blood and through the slaughter, the killing of his brother uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. Cain moved away from God. All the other nations were trying to pursue God. Cain was the first one to ever make instruments of warfare. The mark of Cain, the spirit of Cain, I say that, is on nations in the world right now. When you see people at blood, that does bloodshed for no reason at all, it's the mark of Cain, the spirit of Cain through all their antichrist. So when Lucifer himself, the fallen angel cast down from the place of glory around the throne room of God. He was a covering cherub responsible for the glory and the moving of the presence, lightning and thunder. You see that in Isaiah 14. He was built into his body as a worshiper. He was cast from the place of glory down to a place of darkness. So when he sees someone that carries the glory of God like you and I, according to Colossians 1, 26 and 27, Christos, the anointed one in us, is the hope of glory. So when the devil sees you, he sees something that he lost in the very beginning. He knows how powerful it is and he knows that he can never get it back. So he'll do anything to block the glory, block the revelation. That's where we say the God of this world has blinded their eyes. To block the revelation of the glory of God in you. The power of the blood of Jesus is reflected in you through the glory of Christ in you. We carry inside of us covenant. So if we understood the power of that covenant and how that authority is not based upon how good we are or based upon what we should have done, might have done, but based upon what the Father and the Son did. And when you look at Exodus 12, he said, when I see the blood, a type of the covenant that was to come into the new covenant, when I see the blood, everything that is destructive, everything that is to be judgmental, has to pass over no matter who's in the house. It could be Egyptians coming into the house, and some of them were coming into the house, and be Hebrews. Even if they were a Hebrew and they decided, I'm not going to do that, and they were outside the house, they were under judgment. So under this blood covenant, it has a voice, it has a sound, and it says that not because of who we are, but because of him. The Father and the Son have covenant in regard to us. So when you pray and you say, in the name of Jesus, you're not praying just a name at, at the end of the meal for Thanksgiving. You're saying, in the name who gave covenant with the Father, and that name resonates throughout the earth and resonates throughout heaven. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord, creator, missing nothing, losing nothing. With him, without him, nothing was created. So I say all that to say the Passover covenant was a reset for us. And you'll be happy to know this morning that I'm going to get into even some physical healing things 
that there was a lot of things that happened at Passover far beyond what just the blood and they were saved inside the house. At the covenant, the blood covenant was a reset and for all the nation, but for all of us who were grafted in, according to, to Romans, so that we were grafted in to, to the covenant that God had Abram, that through him all the nations of the earth. Now, when the glory of God is blocked, all most of us can see is the circumstances we live in. My life is the pits. <clears throat> glory of God's in you. I don't see anything. Glory of God's in you. Because when we look at the circumstances and we start calculating the circumstances, as one thinks in their heart, Proverbs, as one thinks in their heart, so we become like we're thinking. So God spends much time through Scripture of trying to change the way we think. Arrogant thinking has to fall. You know, shame has to fall. All he wants to change our thinking into seeing how he thinks and what he says. So when you pray, you can't pray like, well, if I was God, then this is what I would do. The Bible looks down at us. The Bible talks about God looking at us and says, and you earthlings thought that I was altogether like you. I'm not. So he said he prays. He, the, everything he does, he does out of covenant. When we step out of covenant and we're believing God for supernatural things and we're not in covenant, then we're going to get really disappointed because he operates inside of covenant. Now pick it up in Exodus, the 12th chapter. <clears throat> now I want to look at some things that to reset our own personal life. There's a Passover reset. It was for Israel. And I hope part of this you'll begin to realize that it even affects you physically. You literally can reset your age if you do what the Bible talks about. Those who believe it, grab hold of it. Those who think it's just hogwash, just say, well, it is what it is. Que sarah, sarah, which is not a biblical statement at all. <clears throat> As you think, you ever heard someone say, man, I just, I'm just getting so old, can't hardly get up anymore. Just keep prophesying to yourself. I'm just not getting around like I used to. I'm not this, I'm not that. The devil comes and agrees with you. You're in this world now, buddy. You're under my domain. But when you step in covenant, you step into the domain of the kingdom where he's Lord and, and, and Savior then. <clears throat> All right, pick it up, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, then fallen, it's not the Roman, Roman cal calendar, it is the Jewish calendar changed. Now notice, in this month shall be your beginning of months. Everything changes at Passover. Your calendar, your time, everything is reset at Passover. We're not sure. <clears throat> we know that they were under the Egyptian calendar, but God says, I'm bringing you out. You're now under my timetable. You're now under my covenant. You're under everything that I want to do. It is reset right now. So when I was looking a couple of days ago and I heard the Lord saying, I'm doing a reset in the nation just like I did with, with the, the Hebrews. The background of the Hebrews that for many generations, there were 430 years there, they lived very compatible, they lived very happily in Egypt in the land of Goshen, right outside. They had, everything was going for them, they were fruitful, everything was, was uh, multiplied. It was under the Hycosis or Hycosis dynasty. Then when the Hycosis dynasty came to an end, Ramses came into being in the dynasty, and Joseph had died, and the Bible says, and there rose one that did not know Joseph. Joseph was one in covenant with God, Abraham, excuse me, Jacob, Abraham's son, 
you lay the hands upon them and declare, Joseph, you're a fruitful bough whose vine will go over the wall. And that's exactly what it did. To the point is that they made them slaves and they started being pressured and pressured and pressured till the point is they said that made them, they were making them make bricks. And they were still okay there because this is all we know. Then the pressure started increasing to the point is they had to make bricks without straw and it became more and more and more until they were willing, get us out of here. God will allow certain things to happen right in our comfortability, right in the place where I think I could live out here and we're so happy for this. To the point is I'm pressuring, putting pressure on there to bring you out of a system, to bring you out of a mindset, to bring you into something that will be the promise that I said from the very beginning and this month everything changes. Mark the calendars, everything is reset. You're no longer Hebrew slaves. I'm calling you a people who were not a people, but now you shall be my people. I call you out of one thing to go into the other. It's not unusual that God is allowing things to come to the surface so we begin to say, it's not like what I thought it would be. Now we begin to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. We cry out to God to help us in our nation. Instead of looking and saying how bad the Egyptians are, we're looking to see how good we are. And the news media wants to put it in our face day in and day out, how bad, how bad, how bad. And God is saying, I want you to know that I'm good. Look unto me, the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't look unto government. Don't look unto people. No one's going to deliver you. I'm the one who created you. I am the one who's going to bring you out of darkness into my promise. <clears throat> But it all begins at Passover to the level that we allow to be a Passover grace and anointing does something begin to change at that point. All right, let me get out of the introduction. This month shall be the beginning of months. Everything changes. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Beginning of the year, the head of the year. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of the month of every man shall take for himself a lamb According to the house of his father, lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take all according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. It's all about the lamb. You bring the lamb in for several days. You know the lamb. The kids call the lamb fluffy. They become acquainted with the lamb. It now has become part of the household. The lamb is not a doctrine. He's a person. You become part of the family. Experience that until... It shall be a lamb without blemish, a male of first year, and take it. And then one day, this time, dad slits the throat of the, of the fluffy and puts the blood on the doorposts. So now you have a, a covenant relationship with what's getting ready to happen. I believe today, and I'm asking the Lord, for many of us here, that there would be a reset. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What would that be? I mean, the fact is I'm not living in the past experience of what happened. I'm no longer regurgitating and rehearsing how bad things were, rehearsing all the things that happened to me. Now I'm declaring what shall be. Diane loves saying the best is yet to come. That's a covenant looking forward statement from that point. Now look with, move on to uh, Exodus 12 and verse 34. <clears throat> So the people took their dough boards this time that they were blood over the doorposts. Spirit of a bad and the death angel comes through the land. Take their dough board. It was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and their, their shoulders. I mean, they packed up the essentials. 
Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, the word to them. They had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. Get this. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Here were the people, these Egyptians, that had become subservient. Hebrews became subservient to them. They were over them. And now the Lord changed their attitude towards these Hebrews. It was the Lord that gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When God begins to bring a Passover, he brings favor along with that. When we follow the covenant of his promises, stay in the house, allow the blood over the doorpost to speak for you, allow the blood over the doorpost to declare who he is, not who you are. It wasn't about who was in the house and how important they were. It was about the lamb who was the importance. The lamb of God that was actually slain before the foundation of the world. Before anything existed, God had already spiritually, in his mind, had already provided the lamb. Notice the next part of this. The Egyptians gave him articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. When God is ready to release us, that could be pertinent to physical thing. It could be pertinent to something that's held us bondage in the past. You might have been a person that was molested, might have been a person that was misused by some kind of leader in some way. At that point, he's saying, this is the beginning of days. The blood of Jesus has washed away and completely severed ties to that place and that thing. So much so, he said, I'm going to cause you to come out with more than what you went in with. And he caused even his enemies to be at peace with, even his enemies to give them gold and silver. God was preparing all of them with gold and silver for what he was taking them into, that there was going to be the temple built. All of this gold and silver was going to be used there as a place to glorify the Lord. Along the way in the wilderness, they took it, they built something that was very similar to what was in Egypt because Egypt had not quite left them. He brings them down to the waters of Marah, you know this, Meribah, and they drink from the waters of Meribah, it's word for bitter, and they get dysentery. So now they're getting the parasites that picked up in Egypt out of themselves. It is a complete reset and cleansing of their physical body, a cleansing of their mind, so they're no longer carrying their mind the idolatry, which the golden calf was, something they've seen in Egypt all the time, so it wasn't a new thing, cleansing all of that out of them because where I'm taking you, I'm taking you into the land that you've never seen before. This is a land that you have no perspective of. And it's the promise that he spoke to Abram 430 years ago, but he had to make them so tired of where they were living and what they were living in in order to go there to bust a move and say, by faith, I'm going to extend myself and get them out of there. The Lord will allow us to become so tired of where we are spiritually even. And he's saying, I'm going to come to you. Lord, I'm not happy with where it is. I can blame everybody and everything on it. Situations not like the way I grew up. Yeah, it's not. It never was. I mean, I heard that from my parents. It's not like how I grew up. You know, now I'm saying as a parent, it's not like how I grew up. And you'll tell your children's children, not like how I grew up. No, it's not because it's a continuation of cleansing us from an old thing and bring us into the revelation that he becomes the center and focal point of all of our lives. So at a Passover event, it's not just about blood over the door. I know the theology and, you know, kept from dying. It's about what happened in the midst of, in 
the midst of that Passover. I'm going to give you several things that Passover did besides just what we, we know to be concerning the, the blood. Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, there are several places that says it also in Deuteronomy 8, says this concerning them. Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, in verse 12. Okay, 40 years did the Lord sustain them in the wilderness, so they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet did not swell. Part of the promise of coming out through Passover is I was inside the house, obedience to the Lord, and then you come out of Passover, through Passover, and he said, here's the promise. I will cause things to happen so your clothes don't wear out, your feet doesn't even swell. How many says amen to that? When you're under covenant, he's saying, I will sustain and things will not wear out. So there is also a promise of the Lord that physically, if you believe in Passover and you start invoking the Passover name, Jesus, the Lamb of God, over my life, over my mind, then you will not wear out. Do not be weary in, weary in your well-doing. You will not, you'll faint, you'll not faint. You'll reap if you don't faint. So he's saying, I'm going to cause you to accomplish things, but you have to allow the spirit of the blood of Jesus, the spirit of God in Christ to renew you daily. But we're in a time where the news media completely tells us how bad things are and we have got to come quickly, Lord, and everything's going bad. He's just simply getting us ready to be so that our dependence and our mindset is not on an old system. When we're continually, our minds and thoughts are set up on a system daily, how bad it is, we're continually bombarded by the latest news, the latest cable thing, here it comes, here it comes, and we share it all around, we don't even know if it's true or not, and what happens is we miss Jesus. Judgment's coming to outside of the house, but according to Hebrews, it says that Jesus was faithful in his house, Moses was faithful in all of his house, whose house, Jesus, whose house you are. We are in the household of Jesus in the blood. And so in the judgment's coming on and the outside of the house. But those in the household of Jesus, there's not judgment coming. We have the promise we're not going to wear out, fall out, you know, all those things. We're going to be sustained all the way through our time. Because we have Passover covenant and right to say, God, your word says I'm walking through the wilderness. I don't know where I'm going, but there's promises. And I'm walking through the problems because on the end of this, there is a covenant. So I'm passing through under the covenant of blood. Whatever you're dealing with, you're still in Passover. And it's the beginning of months. Everything changes at that point. If you're dealing with an obstinate spouse or whatever it is, instead of just continually cursing him, telling him how bad it is, and you know, you're just like this when you're like that when blah, blah, blah. Then you're under Passover covenant. They didn't open the door. So I wonder what God's doing out here to these Egyptians. That guy don't like to get him God. They were always saying, yeah, I know. I knew that God's going to get him. You stick, open the door and stick your head out and see what happens to you. That's, hap that's what happened to a lot of believers. I want to see what judgment's going to look like. I'm ready for judgment to come. Justice and judgment are two different things. God is just him. Just this. He is just. But he's not called us to be the one to be the jury, as much as I'd like to sit on that one, jury. I know what God would like to do because that's the way I feel it. But when he comes, he says, keep inside the house whose house you are, you belong to me. And keep your affection, your heart, and your thoughts upon me, and you will be renewed. You'll be free from the cares of life. You can tell when somebody has not stayed in the house because all they want to talk about is how bad things are. 
I know how bad it is. So you got to deal with it. You think it's bad here, you ought to go to some of the nations. But what he's asking us to do, if we would set our heart upon him in such a way, he said, I'll make sure your clothes don't wear out. What does that mean? That you're not going to get bored of the covering that I've called for you. Your covering that I've provided for you, you'll not lose that covering. I'll cause you, your feet not to swell, that'll, that your, your feet where it doesn't fit, fit the walk anymore. You'll set your heart upon me, you'll continually to walk in the paths of righteousness. And let me deal with the Egyptians. Let me deal with all of the other stuff. Let me be the God who goes before you and destroying the works of the enemy. All I'm asking you to do is to be a house and a temple of prayer and a house and temple of worship. Simplify. Simplify. So out of that he's saying, if you will allow the, my, my spirit to dwell inside of you and not give your opinion how everything should be done, then you have simplified your mind and your heart. Years ago, back in the early 80s, I was involved where there was a church uprising. It wasn't here. And, uh, called in an apostolic leader. Knew, the, knew how to handle it. And all of a sudden, as this leader began to take the word of God right down line upon line, I mean, the whole church hit the ground. I mean, they were just laying on their face. I was a young guy. I looked up to see who was on, who was down, and who was up. And I heard the Lord say to me, "You keep your head down because I'm getting ready to swing. And if you're in the way, you're going to be taken out. What's it to you who's down and who's up? You set your heart when you get low. Submit yourself. I, man, I, I wanted to crawl underneath the car. And after it was over with." Uprising, gone, never saw him again, and God has brought revival in a tremendous way. If we would allow the Lord to deal with things that we cannot, and just simply saying, I'm going to be in the house, I'm covered under the Passover covenant. And when I when I it takes me through the land, I'm not going to look and say, Well, that he got that one got it. They got what they deserve, and I'm glad they got theirs. I told you you're going to get it. But simply walk through covenant. And the peace of God ruled, umpired your heart through everything we're doing. Amen. Look with me in Acts, the 17th chapter. Paul is confronting the unknown God in Athens. In Greece, there was philosophers were just on every street corner. Had every kind of doctrine, every kind of theology there was, was in Athens. Paul comes by and he sees a statue, a memorial there, put to the unknown God. In other words, they had a statue for every God they could think of. And in case they missed one of them, they said, well, here's the unknown God. We're going to cover all of our bases. Make sure we don't leave anybody out and makes him mad. And he says this in Acts the 17th chapter, starting in verse 24. God that made the whole world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven... And earth dwelleth not in the temple made with hands. This is Paul's address to them. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, hang on to that word, to all life and breath and all things, 
and hath made one blood all nations of men, and to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, before there was an earth in history, before times were appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, of the nations where they would live. Those are the bounds of the habitation, where nations and different peoples of the earth would live. That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So he's talking to some pagans. This is the statement. For in him, the creator of the world, who set the boundaries and habitation, in him we live. We live in him. We live in him and through him and have our being, as certain also of your own poets. They mean one of the poets that did, because they would get up and be a philosopher, not a poet. Like we'd say, Mary had a lamb, a poet. These were philosophers. Some of your own philosophers have said, for we are also the offspring of God. The word offspring there literally means the breath of. We are the breath of God. He breathed into mankind. We became, him. We became a living being. In Genesis, the word being is translated a speaking spirit. God breathed into man and he became a speaking spirit. He was more spirit than he was physical. After the fall, his spirit man was, was down on the lowest part and his mind became dominant. Sukikos was the word. Now it became the tree of, tree of knowledge, Gnosticism came into that. Everything he questioned, everything about God, and it slowed down the process. So man had difficulty hearing God because he lost his place as being a speaking spirit. He said, in him we have our being, our very essence of our life is from him. Now just consider for a moment. If my renewal of my body, my soul, and my spirit came from God, then going to the world to find renewal and finding happiness is really just it's a depletion of that. But when we go back to him, the author and the finisher, the creator of our body, our creator of our mind, and we come to him and we say, God, I need a makeover. I need something in renewing. The world has washed over me. I feel depleted. I feel exhausted. I feel left out. I feel disconnected from, from everything in the world. And he comes because he has his breath, his DNA is inside of us. We live in that space. We live in the power of Passover. Passover just didn't happen 2,000 years. Well, back then it was 6,000 years. Jesus became our Passover 2,000. So we just don't live. That was a historical moment. We can actually live in the nasty now and now in the power of Passover. When the enemy comes in, the Bible says, like a flood, Yah rides on the flood, and he, the, God comes in like the flood. Not the devil comes in the flood. It's God who has the flood. It says Yah, Yahweh rides on the flood. So he said, in the power of Passover, the enemy comes in one way. I'm raising up the flood, and I'll come at him several ways because you are a Passover person in the house of the Lord. Believe him for that. The reason why we need to know this so importantly is when you confront something that is of a spirit of death, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of uh, frustration, all of these things where the enemy comes to try to distract us and turn our head in another direction, distract us from who God is into the God of this world, then what we're saying is he says, step out of Passover and come out to me. I'm the one who, I'll, I'll kill the firstborn. I'll, I'll bring the land to not. But when you understand the power of Passover, you pray not with wishful thinking, 
but you pray with the authority of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he says, in him we have, we live, that word live just doesn't mean exist in this world. Jesus made comment in Matthew, the fourth chapter, when he was confronting the devil in the mountain. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, then prove who you are and make these stones bread. Jesus had just come from his own baptism. And in the baptism, the heavens opened and God said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit leads him up into the high place and the first thing the devil says, if you're a son. So now the battle is over identity. God says you're a son. The devil says maybe you're not. And the battle is where you live. If you live in the power of Passover, then your identity is you win. Whatever's happening out around you and outside of you, it doesn't matter. For the most of us, a lot of us, we live from the outside in. We live by what's going on around us. Who's doing who to what and when? What's not right and what's, this is not taking place. But the Passover covenant says, I'm living from inside the house no matter what happens outside the house. Anxiety and fear happens outside, but inside the power of Passover house, all things are well. The peace of God comes. There's a peace that the world doesn't understand, Jesus says, but inside my house is the power of Passover. You went into John the 14th chapter. <clears throat> In my Father's house are many Mansions is a bad translation, but the word is rooms or places. It's a duality of scripture. In heaven, there is, a, there is a place in heaven, Father's house, but it's also a present tense, meaning in my Father's house, who you are inside of you, there are places that I want to inhabit and places that I want to fill, so fill you, so fulfilling. The word Val came up and said, I heard today that there's going to be fulfillment in the house. <clears throat> in this fulfilling is that you can have the peace of God no matter what the world's doing. But the devil wants to turn your hands and look at the world out there. And they're going and getting drunk and sleeping around everyone they want to. Man, they have that liberty. Look at that. And it sounds exciting. If that is exciting to you, there's something inside of you that has still got to be killed. <clears throat> I am crucified with the anointed one. If I relate to that, there's something that says, where the devil says, look, you're missing something. If that's that, what that, we entertain that thought, that means that we've got one, one step outside of the house and then we run back in. And we live a life of sin, repentance, sin, repentance, sin, repentance, and we put life on hold and we're not moving forward because we, we keep trying to clean up the mess where we are. Inside the house, he said, my father's house. There are many places. If it weren't so, I told you so. But because I go to prepare a place for you, this is a Jewish custom that every Jewish young man would speak over the bride he was going to take. It was all about betrothal. He would go to her. You've been around here very long when doing communion. And he would extend a cup, which was the third cup, middle cup in the Seder. The middle cup was called the cup of blessing, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. Jesus could have taken any one of those cups, but he took the middle cup it was called the cup of blessing, Barak, or Eulogeo in the New Testament, which means the cup of betrothal. Jesus said, I've been looking forward to drinking and eating this with you, to share my body, my house, 
and to allow you to drink the cup, which is covenantal. And so when a young man was going to ask a young lady to marry him, he would go to her house, permission from the father, and he would have a cup of wine, and he would extend it to her. If she drank from the cup, then he drank from the cup. They were engaged. Jesus said, I'm not going to drink this cup with you again until I drink it anew, naos, which means as if we had been the first time. Drink it anew in my father's kingdom. Inside the house, there is a wedding betrothal where we're saying, I'm waiting. I'll not go after any other lovers. I'm not going to chase the world down. I'm not going to look for those kind of things. I'm in the house enjoying all that Passover has brought. There is a place by me. When, when uh, God tells Moses, a place by me, when Moses said, I want to see your glory. I've seen all your miracles. I know you can do this. You're awesome. You scare me. But I, there's still something missing. There's an essence that I'm missing. I've seen what you've done to these people that you love. I wouldn't have done it. You know, Moses was so frustrated with him. He's like any parent. But he said, there's a place by me that I'm going to place you and allow you to see my afterburners. The radiation of God is in the afterglow of that. And Moses comes down. His body is now carrying the glory of God. Here's what I want us to know. Our bodies are the house of God that he has covenantally put something inside. There is a spiritual, there is a physical renewal that can happen on the inside of you. I don't care if you're 70 years old, your 70 can be like a 50. I don't care what your clock says, your odometer says, you can walk in the spirit. But when you start walking in the cares of life and the ways of the world, you'll start feeling, you'll feel more than your age. This world will age you. Yet the Bible says, Psalms 103, he will renew your strength like the youth of The renew means to come back to the point of redemption before the fall. So what, if you're struggling with physical things, there's no condemnation. But I'm telling you, you can go into the house, the secret place of God, and say, Father, I repent of just being out there in the world and see what's going on. Repent of just playing, playing it safe. I'm coming to you, and I'm going to drink this cup anew, fresh, because I belong to you. I'm bride-elect to you, and therefore... You're responsible to keep me safe and yielded. And you'll, be, you'll, you'll see. You, the very moment that you have revelation of who he is, you'll be changed like him. And the example of that. First John says, when we see him, we will be like him. That's not only future tense that most of the time you hear preachers. One of these days in heaven, you know, maybe on the way up, when you see him, present tense and future tense, duality. When I see him in the revelation that the Father has wanted to manifest to me that he is the Lamb of God, as soon as you see him that way, Jehovah, you know, Rapha, the Lord my God that heals me, which is the first thing that he announced himself to be to the Hebrews. He didn't say, I'm the one Moses has been talking about. Behold, I'm here. I'm the one that Abraham, your fathers and your ancestors, you know nothing about. I'm here. He announced himself, I am the Lord thy God that heals you. Because he says, inside the house, it is my DNA and my living to have my life there. When Paul says, we live and move. 
Jesus, when he makes this statement on the mountain there, he's quoting out of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, verse 14. And he said, man shall not live by bread, because Lucifer was saying, command these stones to become bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is an ending of thought, a new thought. Because most of the time we quote it as one sentence in the summary. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceedeth or prophesieth from out of the mouth. And the word live there is zoe. It is the same word in Hebrew which means to breathe in them, ruach of God, and they became a new creation. Man shall become renewed in their spirit. When they begin to hear every word that proceeds, moves ahead, word and spirit is a catalyst. Two elements coming together creates a catalytic conversion. Changes. By themselves, they're nothing. But together, they start something. Prophesied from the mouth of God reveals who he is. We live, we've had our start, breath of life poured in us, and move, which is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, bring us to a pl moving us towards a greater revelation of who he is. We live and move and have our being, our life. He really intended for us to not live by the sustenance of this world and the information of this world, but to live by the information of heaven who's on the throne. When we make other sources and other people enthrone them, we empower them to lie to us. We empower him and enthrone him. According to Psalms 22, it says he is enthroned, how? In the praises of his people. He shows up to deal with their enemies. We're thrown there to deal with their enemies when we pray. Not to tell him about how bad the enemies are. When we talk about how good he is, he automatically deals with the enemies. The devil doesn't mind us talking about how bad things are. He loves it. But he knows when we start talking about the goodness of the Lord in the land of our living, we release the glory of God and something begins to change. When we invoke his name, everything changes. Psalms 48 says, as his name is, so are his praises. The ancients believed that whatever you, you declared his name to be, he manifested or showed up in the way he was. If that's true in that way, then when we start manifesting the name of, of all of other people and government and all this other stuff, and I believe we ought to pray for people in authority, we need to bind the spirits that, that, that have an effect on them, but our, our warfare is not flesh and blood. Take the face off of them and recognize that the demon behind these things of the spirit of anti-anointing or anti-Christ. It's not a personalized thing, but the devil wants us to be personal. He says, stay inside the house Worship the Lord, declare his goodness, and let his angels come, and he'll deal with your enemies. We're not into warfare, but if warfare is, we're 24-7 into warfare, then we have missed who he is. Selah. I remember, it's been like a time in my life where I was in warfare 24-7 talk more about the demons. And I was thrown into deliverance ministry at the age of 22, not even knowing that there was such a thing. Didn't like it. I said, God, there's got to be something better than this. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted fighting these things. And he said, because you've been fighting them out of your mind instead of having a renewed mind. 
Paul said that we can have the mind of Christ. Christ didn't fight him. He just said, get out. Well, I'm not like Jesus, I guess, because I'm out here wearing myself out with these things. His point is, stay in the house. Let the Passover covenant cover you. So when the enemy sees you, he's not seeing you. He's seeing the blood. And when he sees the blood, he has to pass over. And he has no dominion and power over you. He can entice you. He can try to pull you out of that. He can try to pull you out of your seat, seated with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2, and try to get you to seat and sit in the seat of the scornful someone. Sit down the scornful. Give an opinion. Criticize everybody. Tell them what you think. Your opinion is better than anybody else, so therefore tell them what you think. And we just feel empowered. It is not the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's this power of scorn. Misery loves company. We're drawn to that. But when we stay in the house, you see, you don't have to see what's going on. Noah, God says, you get in the ark, what you've done out of obedience. I'll shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. And what was destruction on the outside was what lifted the boat. What was destruction for everybody out was floating the boat. So Noah's out on the cruise with the family pets and other animals. He's enjoying the cruise while outside judgment is going on in the face of the world. But inside the house, the covenant ark, he's enjoying peace in the presence of God. We choose the place we want to deal with. We choose a place from where we even have to do warfare. Let me just tell you this. Sometimes it is a prideful thing when we start going into warfare. I know more than everybody else. I'm the intelligent one in the room. I'm just, let me give you information here. Blah, 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 blah. I see Jesus saying, what? You don't even know what's going on. He that sits in the heavens even laughs at that. Because we can impress one another where we don't impress him. Now when we're praying the word of God, saying this is the heart of God, we're inside of the house. He said, I will release my word, send my word, and it will heal. Here's what's an interesting thing with that. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. We do not lose heart. The word actually is have the wind knocked out of you. If you've ever played sports or football very long, you had the wind knocked out of you. I can still feel that feeling of sucking O's. <laughs> and breathe, breathe. I'm trying, I'm trying. We don't lose heart or lose breath, though outwardly we are wasting away, living from the outside in. How was your day? And then I text that. Instead of saying, Jesus is alive and on the throne, that's where it's at. Instead of living from the outside, you live from the inside and let the inside have the effect on the outside. Though outwardly we are wasting away or perishing, yet inwardly our spirit is renewed day by day. I wish I had time to go back into all the, the scriptures that relate to this, but the physical body responds to what our spirit is. If our spirit is healthy and our spirit's alive, it pours into our mind, our thinking, we, we, the presence of God, we delight in him. Psalm 16 says, even at night while we're on our bed, the Holy Spirit is communing with us. So I said, your spirit is getting an upgrade while you sleep. Unless we want to go home and take a nap. I mean, my phone in the middle of the night can upgrade, and I don't even know it. Get up the next day, and I say, how'd that get on there? 
So when we're renewed day by day by the Spirit of God, it means my spirit, the eternal part of myself is getting younger, not meaning by age, but getting closer to him, closer. And the closer you are to him, the radiation, or I could say the glory of God, begins to affect you. I have friends that just love God or worshipers, and they're in their 80s, and they, they look like and feel like they're in their 70s. So, man, what would you do? I don't know. My dad died at an early age, but he wasn't really a godlike person. You can deal with generational sickness and disease and cut it off by coming into the house under a Passover covenant where God is saying, inside here, there's life forevermore. Out there is destruction. You choose which tree. You want to live out there or you want to live in here? I've told you before that my mother was a very praying, godly woman, and I miss her or deeply but she would send me out on a date I remember she'd give me five bucks you could buy gas for 27 30 cents something like that I'd go get a little bit of gas enough for a hamburger for me and my friend and she'd say I want you to remember the Holy Spirit is in the back seat the whole time well that wasn't what I wanted to I could not get that picture out of my mind. In fact, I'd draw, I'd look back in that mirror and go, don't manifest now. <laughs> it kept me out of a lot of problems because I knew there's a place in the house of God where there's protection and God's favor is there and something good happened outside of that is destruction. Though it may seem like a temporary good thing to do to satisfy the lust of the flesh, but when you step outside of that, you're God saying, you didn't love me more than you loved you. Crucify the flesh in Christ. Now in the life I live, living his life, his being, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself up for us. Now, there's an interesting place in Scripture where he talks about Colossians 3. Here's one of the ways, a couple of ways quickly, how that we can, we can literally renew, I think, physically. I was in Denver last week working with a couple of churches, gone through some difficult times, and it had been eight years since I'd seen them. I know this may sound a little bit self, self-deserving, but self, anyway, you'll see. <laughs> it had been eight years since I'd seen anyone in the church there pastor and his wife came up and said, you don't look any different than you did eight years ago. He looked like he had aged tremendously, and, and he was younger than me. His face had fallen, had, you know, just looked like he'd been beat up, and he had. He got into church growth conferences, tried to figure out how he was going to build a church and grow it, and we need step one, step two, step three. We need to do all these things. And I said, here's the element you left out. Jesus. Jesus said, I'll build the church. When you start doing that, you're saying, I've taken ownership of the church. If you blood could give your blood for anybody, it wouldn't be worth anything. At a good-sized, large church, and it just emptied out over time. I said, why didn't you call me? So I was too ashamed. Because we had long-term I'm here now. Begin to pray over him. First thing he had to break shame. 
back in father's house like a prodigal leaving the pig pen because the prodigal son was still a son. The father hadn't rejected him. He walked away from the father. He wasn't enjoying the benefits of father's house, though he could have access to it. Because of his choices, he was getting what was in the world. You know the story how he was restored back to father's house. The father ran and got him and kissed him and put the robe on, gave him covenant rights, gave him the authority, brought him back into that, and his religious elder brother had the issue. Don't worry about elder brothers who think that you don't have a right to the inheritance that God gave you. Because I've been here, I've been faithful all of these years. This one been on drugs and just been out in the world. They come in in a moment and next thing they're prophesying. But the Bible says, to whom much forgives, much loves. Not for those who hang out. You can hang out forever and not be empowered. You can be in Father's house and never know Father's right here. And everything that's in Father's house, you can have. How do you access that? It's because you go to the Father who sees in secret. in Colossians 3. Here's one of the ways that you can leave this building today looking younger. You believe that? To I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> if I can believe that, take it. For you that don't believe it, then we'll know next week when we come back and see it. <laughs> uh, I see that unbelief on you. All right, Colossians. <laughs> Colossians, the third chapter. Pick it up in, in verse, verse 3. No, let's pick it up in verse 1 and get the context of it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, and to the saints. So he's talking about all of them, this is clarifying, I'm coming and giving this letter to everyone. And then he makes a real, very strong confession and in verse chapter 3, verse 1. If you, then you, were raised with Christ, resurrection, Christ, the anointed one, seek those things which are above, where Christ is setting at the right hand of the Father. Originally the word hand was not in the manuscript. In the interlinear Greek it says, Jesus is at the right of the Father. I mean, the fact is, he's not established a hand because God's not a physical body. This is at the right, righteous place of judgment, the place of authority. He's at the right side of God, righteous side. So when he says it like this, he's at the right side, a right hand of the Father. Set your mind, place it, plant it there, decide on. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth can know where your mind is seated by what the con what you talk about the most. If you were able to pull up on your cell phone how many hours it was, mine tells me that. And I'm just kidding. You lying, I don't believe that. And then you look at all the stuff you were downloading, this would say, I mean, it's good, good teaching downloading and all that, but if it's all downloading about how bad things are, that gets into your spirit. Hang on to that second. For those who have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, have our being in him, appears, when you also will appear in glory with 
him in glory. Now he goes on to talk about the words setting the affection literally means your affection means what draws me. Set your mind on what draws you. If you're not drawn to the presence of God, then just ask the Lord, would you do something in my heart? Let me have revelation of you that I'll never be satisfied with just a religious crumb now and then. Awaken inside of me so that I can want you more than I want anything else in my life. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Number one is what you set yourself towards and on will cause your age to reflect what you've been setting it on. You're smoking, your skin will look like it. You're killing brain cells, your skin will look like it. But there's something about God made the face, the kara is to reflect the glory of the Lord. The Bible says that the woman is the glory of the man. Doesn't mean whether he has to be you know, great or not. It means a reflection of what goes on inside the home. Smile, baby. In the same way that we are the bride elect and we reflect what's going on inside the house. Not this house, but the presence of God. In his presence, we're renewed day by day. In his presence, there's a newness. But when people are very analytical and over in their minds, I don't know, how's this fit? I got to figure out how this fits. When you're like an engineering mind process, of, I knew everything's got to fit. Well, God's word does fit together. There's sometimes when you can't make it fit, that God will make you fit. I'll break down everything, break down pride. I'll break down, you know, self-haughty looks and self-exaltation to make you fit into what I'm calling you to do. So when we pray, God, would you do this? You don't see it happen. Just know that he's fashioning and forming you to fit. It may take 430 years. But he will not stop until he's finished with answering the prayer. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. I remember my dad telling me that. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. What are my options? Do I have a time to pray about this? No. That's what I want to quickly. Nehemiah 8 and 10. I used it this morning in our new members class. It is actually the verse of scripture that I started with here 33 years ago. Somebody didn't know. July 17th. says, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to them whom nothing has been prepared for them. For this day is holy unto the Lord. We began Love Indeed ministry out, out of this verse of Scripture, sending portions to them, nothing has been prepared. We're not just in feeding the poor. We're feeding the poor because of what Jesus says about the poor. As you've done it to thee, so you do it unto him. The part of that is... Drink the sweet, that, that idea of the sweet wine was, was not just the wine that you know, made you get drunk and act silly. It was the wine of, representing joy. And it says, this is a day for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice it doesn't say the joy for the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Joy is a spirit. It's the very nature of God. So being baptized in the Holy Spirit... Being filled with the Spirit of God 
means that there is a joy of the Lord comes with it. So you could speak in tongues and yet angry at the world, then what happens is we've we decided that not to allow the attributes or the fruit, fruit means the outward result of something planted inside. The fruit of the Spirit, singular, is love, joy, peace, long jumping, gentleness, meekness, kindness, against such there's no law. But part of the very nature of the Holy Spirit is joy. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, nobody comes to the Father except through the Son and the Holy Spirit. Draw Him. You draw Him with a sense of joy. Don't, ne don't never, double negative, never let your joy be lost and never let your salvation be without joy. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to go ahead and give it this. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you're inside the house and you're, you're getting his feedback and his joy, there's something about it. The world couldn't even tell it. When you're satisfied with Jesus and you're married to Jesus, then what, what does the world have to offer? It's just temporary. But to gain the whole world and lose your soul just over a temporary you know, thing that happens. Then you set your affection on, on him above. And he gives us the desires of our heart. Let him fulfill it instead of me going out and manipulating to get it. Here's the next part. Here's interesting. This excites me. I don't know if it'll do the same thing for you. The word joy is word, one word. It's chara, charat. It's not the best word in the Hebrew for joy. It comes from four letters. I don't want to make, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any stretch. But one of the letters, chet. Vav, Dalit, and Haim. And you put those letters, each one of those letters has a meaning all of themselves, a definition. Here's the definition of joy. Joy is when you pass through between the space between heaven and earth through the wilderness area and you come into his presence, it is joy. Joy means when you've not stopped when you pass through hell, stop to look around and stop to report how bad it is, Pass through it knowing that you're entering in, the word is portal actually, passing through into the presence of God with this fullness of joy. Psalm 16. In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy, and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So when someone tells you, oh, serving God is there's no fun at all, well, you don't know God. I'm having the I'm having the time of my life. Having the fun of my life getting on planes and fall, flying to other nations, staying up, eating weird food, and going, you know, I don't even have a clue what's going to happen, and suit up and show up and see the power of God manifest. You're exhausted and worn out, and I go, man, this is a delight. Other people say, that's crazy, I never want to do that. It's because I find joy in the midst of everything. I haven't always done that. God has to deal with me. Don't complain, don't complain. I keep better books than you, so... Let it all be counted for all joy. When you come into various trials, count it all joy. How do you do that? The difference is because emotionally, when we're in the middle of a trial, it says, man, I don't like this. I wish I wouldn't this. But when you're in the spirit and your spirit is being renewed, you count that, then joy comes. Joy comes in the morning. Darkness lasts for the night. Joy comes in the morning, meaning there's a passing through that portal when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, that's that Chet Bav, Dalit, you pass through that, I'm taking you to the high place because I've prepared a table for you right in the midst of your enemies. And you've had to learn how to go through 
valley and all the little waters, you know, going, this is sweet, kind, going through this valley. He said, because by the time you get up there, you'll know how to be able to eat in front of your enemy and not be bothered. Oh, God, I want to go back to the still waters. I'm not going backwards. I'm going forward. My promise to you is to take you to the high place. But the enemy's there. The giants are always there before we get there. But I want to teach you how to eat and not be disturbed. Nothing annoys the devil any more than to eat in front of us. I'm going to kill you. Go ahead. Make my day. Be absent body. Be present with the Lord. You're going to lose everything. Didn't have anything to start with. Jesus has it all. Isaiah 12, verse 3. With joy present, you'll draw from the wells of salvation. Salvation is sozo. With joy, you're going to find salvation, covenant, and then also Healed, delivered, and freedom. Healed because of joy. Delivered because of joy, not from fear. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but with everything with thanksgiving. Anxiety is a form to the devil. Being anxious means, God, you've not done a very good job of taking care of me. Because what happens, whatever the cares of life, when we absorb and we soak in and we listen to, then we become what we're listening to. Cares of life choke out the seed. I can't hear God because the cares of life choked out the seed. Matthew 13. And he tells us in Romans 14, the kingdom of God does not come. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not measured by how much you owe, own, what you have in your cupboard. It's not measured by that. He doesn't see that. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy is the attribute of God himself. It's not a feeling. Happiness is an emotion that's based on what's happening. Joy is the spirit of God himself that's filling the house where the devil can't get a word in edgewise. Stand with me, please. pray and ask the Lord for miracles and the thing is I don't have to convince him to do it he's already wanting to do it I'm going to read you this one last scripture Proverbs 17 a merry heart does good like a medicine the doctor told you to take these pills every four hours would say, yeah, because I believe that if I do that, I'll get better. But if I expose myself all day long to everything else that's negative, destructive, sorrowful, poor, pornographic, every kind of imagination, thought, mindset, then I've lost the sense of medicine and I've taken on the sickness of the world. Then he goes on to say, Mary Hart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. It is the bone where the blood is made. It literally a broken spirit, sometimes to be broken before the Lord. But he's talking about a broken spirit that's in the, and 
antithesis of a merry heart, dries the bones. You ever felt like I just so spiritually dry? There's a good indication. Because I've looked at what I don't have and looked at the outward and all the circumstances and felt sorry, felt, felt neglected. But yet he's in the house. He doesn't come out of his covenant. He stays in covenant. So to find him, we've got to go back into the house. Jesus is the door. He said in John 6 and verse 63, the words I speak, they're spirit and they're life. They literally have the way, life-giving, divine connection to our soul. He's closer than what we thought. You can literally renew your mind and heart by spending time in prayer, reading the word, and thinking of his goodness. The devil wants you to think about everything Spirit of truth is inside of you. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Give me dreams tonight that will renew and speak of who you are. When I wake in the morning, would you give me a verse of Scripture, your bread that I can live all day long on that? Will you keep my mind in perfect peace because I'm, I'm choosing to let it be stayed upon you? Passover is not a one-time occurrence. It is the lifestyle Father, we just approach you, the throne of grace, and find help in time of need. We ask you to forgive us, O oh God, of operating in a, a fallen world and a fallen nature, expecting any good results. That the only way that good things and favor will happen, the only way that we can spoil the Egyptians and take back what you meant for there to be a transfer of the wealth, that word wealth there is actually is inside your house. Forgive us that we've tried to do it outside and do it our own way with our own wisdom and our own ingenuity, which is a sense of pride. And we come back to you, Father, to Father's house, and give us that place inside of your house that allows us to experience who you are, your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace. If you're not finding favor in your life, whether it's on the job or God wants you to have extracted out of this world to spoil this world, to spoil what the devil meant for evil. God wants to bring good. Then you can't, you've got to do it his way. The Bible says what, what person just thinking about it, spending time thinking about it, can change how, how tall you are. Thinking about your sickness and thinking about your disease and how bad it is doesn't change. But when you think about the goodness of the Lord, you think about his mercy, and you think about that what was nailed to the cross that day and they couldn't get off of that, and it was completely destroyed because of the enemy that brought sickness and disease in the world. And he said, but I have come that you might have life. I have come that you might have it abundantly, fully, fully. So I pray right now, Father, would you renew inside of us a joy unspeakable, full of glory, full of who you are. And I ask the Holy Spirit that you would convict us every time we start complaining. Every time we start saying, it's not very good, it could have been better. It's not good. She did, he did, they did. 
You've not called us to rise up and give everybody our opinion. You've called us to rise up and worship you. You've called us to be a worshiper. And out of worship, you put a mantle of governing. And the first mantle of governing starts on governing ourselves. Self-control. Self-discipline. Destroying selfishness. And being willing to serve others. I've got three other things I'm not going to get into. But one of the things that is proven historically, even psychologists talk about it, people have a younger quotient age when they're involved in something that they feel purposeful in serving others. So I pray, Lord, right now as we delight ourselves in you, that you would set inside eternity inside of our hearts so that we could get back to something that's eternal, get back to the gifts and calling of God, and not just trying to find pleasure in that thing and that other thing and just chasing stuff that you never said belonged to us. But we chase after you because the presence of God belongs to you. We thank you for the might and power of Jesus.